This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. The Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast is brought to you by Triple Threat Sports, Marishka's in Crest Hill, Chuck's Southern Comforts Cafe, Rabbit Brewing in Homewood, Illinois, and by The Barrel Club in Oak Lawn. Here are your hosts, NBC Chicago's James Naveau and 670 The Scores Hockey Guy, Jay Zawoski. Let's drop the puck. Hello, friends. Welcome into another edition of the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. My name is James Naveau from NBC5 Chicago, and with me, as always, is the one and only pride and joy of Homewood, Illinois, Jay Zawoski of 670 The Score and the Locked on Blackhawks podcast. Jay, we've been doing uh, full-length shows a little bit more often lately, and it seems like a couple of times that we've done this, we come off of a pair of games that are completely opposed to one another, where one game was awesome and everything was great, i.e. yesterday's game against Vancouver, and when one game was absolutely terrible and we shall never speak of it again, like the Sharks game on Tuesday. So, (laughs) Jay Zawoski, I guess the question is a very simple one. Who are the real Chicago Blackhawks? Well, that's that's what we don't know yet. And last night's game against the Canucks was very encouraging. And they looked like they looked last year after they had figured it out, right? After the initial Jeremy Cowton losing streak, the Hawks were a lot better when the new year flipped. And that's what we saw was a high-powered offense using their skilled players to drive possession, to drive offense, to drive scoring chances. And yeah, you had um, a, a, a porous defense last year and you had bad goaltending last year. This year, those things are improved. And I liked last night that they were initiating possessions. They were initiating offense. They were taking some chances. It wasn't just the usual suspects pinching in as defensemen. It wasn't just Gustafson, who I thought had a really good game. It wasn't just Boquist. It wasn't just Keith. You saw Oli Mata below the goal line. You saw Kelvin DeHaan below the goal line. The whole team was in attack mode, and I think it caught Vancouver off guard to start, and it got the Hawks out to a lead, and I think Jeremy Cowton said it in the post-game press conference. They were having fun, and that's what's been missing. You could tell these last few games, especially the San Jose game, the body language was awful, and it was just, I, I said it this morning on lockdown, it was like they were punting every possession. That was not the case against Vancouver. They were carrying the puck, creating offense, and when you have a skilled roster, that's what you should do with it. I think it's pretty simple. Yeah, and I guess we can also argue about just how skilled the roster is, but I think that ultimately what last night boiled down to is, like you said, it was the, not only was it the guys like the Matas and the Dehans who were jumping in to create some offense, but it also was potentially the most engaged, like I've probably seen Patrick Kane all season. Jonathan Tabes looked like he was really involved last night. Dylan Strom had three assists last night. Like this was a complete and total team effort and everyone was doing the little things that they just had not been doing against San Jose. It was literally like two different teams had worn Blackhawks jerseys in the last two games. The Tuesday game was a lackadaisical effort. There just really wasn't a whole lot there. I mean, you sat there watching that game and you were just like, well, they're going to lose. Like, it's just a matter of how badly like they could never get the puck, could never chase the Sharks down, who, by the way, the Sharks are not a fast team. 
they're not that good. The Blackhawks made them look really good. And then they turn around last night against the team in Vancouver that I know has struggled in recent years, but this year is really seeming to kind of start to figure some stuff out. They came into last night's game 9-3-3. and They are one of the top teams in the Pacific Division. And the Blackhawks completely outclassed them in the first period. And then after Vancouver had kind of had a great second period where they had really punched back really well, the Blackhawks reasserted control on that game in the third period and really slowed Vancouver down. And yeah, they had a couple of empty net goals to kind of pad the numbers a little bit. But the key for the Blackhawks was just the fact that when Vancouver punched, the Blackhawks absorbed the hit and they kept coming And Patrick Kane's uh, insurance goal in the third period ended up being a really critical marker in that game. And it was just it was remarkable the resilience of a team just two days after they look completely dejected and defeated. Like I it's so hard. Like we do these podcasts and we're doing them very regularly. I still can't put my freaking finger on the pulse of this team. Well, look, I don't want to. and, And I feel like Cowan was doing this yesterday. And I don't. It's not honest to just say that oh they were skating harder or oh they were winning battles. No, that was not it. They were playing a different system of hockey last night. Dylan Strom was the post game guest with Chris Bowden and Troy Murray on WGN last night, and I had Chris Bowden send me the audio. We're not allowed to use the actual audio, so I'm going to read you the quote from Dylan Strom. He said, "We're trying to build some momentum here." doing a lot of new things and new systems. It takes a little bit of getting used to. Here's the important part. We kind of went back to our old system a little bit from last year tonight, so I think we felt a lot more comfortable. Did they really install that system in two days? No, it's already, it's been there. Hmm. That's what they used all last year. Well, you know what I mean, though. Like, they were trying to do the new thing, and it's like, did you really... Can you really flip a switch and in two days, like completely fundamentally alter the uh, strategy that you're using on the ice? Here was the fundamental difference between the Vancouver game. And I'll say, look, San Jose was a horrible game. Anaheim, they beat, but probably didn't deserve to. L.A., they got outclassed and, and Robin Leonard kept him in that game or Corey Crawford kept him in that game. It was a different approach. All three of those games, the last three I mentioned. It was dump and chase. Get to the get to the blue line. Even if they weren't pressured, they would mm-hmm. dump the puck in. Last night, the Hawks were carrying the puck over the line. They were creating offense. They were taking chances. They were playing aggressively. That wasn't just like, oh, we're going to suddenly try harder tonight. That was then, and Dylan Strom said it, that was a different system. He said, we went back to the system we were using last year, which a lot of us are a lot more comfortable with. That was a coaching change. It's not a complete system reboot, but he said, look, you know what? Let's try this. We're having no luck. We're getting globetrotted by the damn San Jose Sharks, who are the worst team in the Western Conference at the time. Let's see what let's see what happens if we allow these guys to create and allow them to carry the puck into the zone and use their skill. You mentioned, you know, you're not sure how skilled they are. Well, I think Patrick Kane... Jonathan Taves, Alex Debrinka, Dylan Strom, and Brandon Saad is a really strong top five. And not every line needs to play the same way, right? Mm-hmm. I, I think, but I would take that top five, and aside from a handful of teams, that's as good as any, right? And sure, you've got your David Camps, and you've got your bottom of the roster guys, but they should be capable of dictating offense for significant portions of the game. And that's what we saw last night because they played a different style. It wasn't just about effort. It wasn't just about skating. And I think saying that sort of dismisses what the problem had been leading up to last night, right? The system mm. was sucked. And I don't know why Cowton this year before last night was saying, we're going to play the most conservative game possible despite our roster not being that kind of a roster right that's why this week I wrote that they should fire him because he wasn't using the roster correctly last night was a welcome change and if I end up looking like an idiot for writing what I wrote great I don't care I just want the Hawks to be good and competitive and if it took Jeremy Collins feet being held to the fire a little bit to make it happen fine as long as they're good I'm happy I don't care if it looked like an ass it happens all the time I will I will say two things uh 
the first thing is that this is one game out of 82. Of course. And I, th- I think if we're if we're learning anything about this Blackhawks team, it's that we're not going to be able to like start to kind of like tease the argument that maybe they're turning a corner a little bit and that they've made an adjustment that's going to yield long-term success. Because I think that what we've seen this season repeatedly is even after they have a couple of strong games in a row, they still have the potential to go back and just completely muck it up. And they completely, you know, lose the thread for three or four games and they're right back where they started. So I will say that, that I'd like to see this in the next couple of games and not just in the Vancouver game. It's a good start, but obviously if this, if these systemic changes that I think you're absolutely right, like Dylan Strom did say it, you definitely saw it. I still think there was an element of buy-in to this as well that they just they saw that the system wasn't being successful and so they just weren't as adamant about executing it I do think there is some at least part of that that they bought in and they played harder as a result I'm not saying that they were you know being lazy or whatever under the old system but it's I think it's easier to play hard and to really buy in when it's a system that you have confidence in and clearly whatever they were doing before just wasn't it But I did, after saying those things, I do want to go back to your column about firing Jeremy Colleton. Now, I I think a lot of your arguments were really sound. I think that uh, there is definitely a strong argument to be made that Colleton just isn't going to cut the cut. You know, he's not going to fit the bill here in Chicago. Like, I still think that even after a performance like that last night, I think that he gets out coached a lot, even against guys like Peter DeBoer, who just should not be doing that to you, which he did on Tuesday night in the Sharks game. I I think that there are plenty of arguments to be made about firing Colleton. The one thing I will say is that if they're going to fire Colleton, they have to fire Bowman too. I do not think you can let Stan Bowman hire another coach. This mess is entirely of his making. And I don't think you trust him to, clean it up he's had two years to and he simply has not done it like I don't think they've made enough progress to say well you let Stan hire another coach and see if it no this rebuild it would not be at that that point to me I think that you almost need a complete fresh slate in hockey ops and in coaching so to me if you're gonna fire Jeremy Colleton you have to fire Stan Bowman too. And I'm not going to sit here and say that they shouldn't do that. I'm definitely saying that all options should be on the table. So that's my reaction to some of the points that you brought up in your column. But I also, of course, Jay, want to give you the opportunity to kind of talk through some of this with the Madhouse podcast audience. I kind of, I'm interested to hear from you. Did last night's game, did Jeremy Colleton's approach to last night's game give you any glimpses of hope that maybe he can make those kinds of adjustments that he needs to make? Or are you still pretty well set that he needs to go? It was definitely a a glimpse of hope. And if they play that way against Toronto and play that way against Pittsburgh and Vegas and Nashville and all these tough games they have coming up, if I'm not saying they have to win them all, but if they're competitive and they're in those games, then yeah, he has shown the willingness to adjust. And look, my whole point of with, the Colin thing and and saying maybe you don't fire Bowman right away. I think by firing Colin, you're acknowledging that he's, that you believe this roster is better than it's playing. I believe that. I think you believe that. I think most people believe, look, this is not a Stanley cup champion roster by any means, but it's not the team that gets dominated for 60 minutes by the San Jose effing sharks or the LA effing Kings. This is not that kind of roster. So I thought, look, Colleton is the one who's not getting the, t- the talent out of this team. He's not getting the response from the leaders of this team. So you give Mark Crawford the interim tag. You put a halt to any significant trades on Stan Bowman, right? And you see how this season goes. And if Mark Crawford can turn them around and get them to maybe not a, a you know playoff Stanley Cup contenders, but if they're fighting for a playoff spot come February, come March, or you know right before the deadline even, then you say, okay, look, the talent you've assembled here is what we thought it was. It is a playoff caliber team. So now if you want to make a move before the deadline, go for it. It's a wait and see for me because I think the message you send by firing Cowlton is, look, 
you're not getting enough from this roster. And that's what I believe. I We've talked about it ad nauseum entering this season. We talked about our expectations. We broke down the roster, who's going to be here, who's not, who's going to play where. And the conclusion that you and I drew and most people that looked at the Blackhawks drew was probably a playoff team, probably not a Stanley Cup contender. We did not envision a team that was going to be dominated by two of the bottom-feeding teams in the NHL. And that's what we've seen over the last week. And last night was great. It was the most fun I've had watching them pretty much all season because it was you are letting your skilled players play that way. You could see the enthusiasm. And, yeah, effort's part of it when you believe. When you believe in what you're doing, it's a lot harder. It's a lot better to play hard. Think of it as, like, your workplace. If you've got a boss, and I'm not saying Jeremy Collins is, but just making a, a comparison. If you've got a boss that you know sucks at his job, has no vision, doesn't know what he's doing, it's hard to get up every morning and give everything you've got. But if you go into work believing, look, the end goal of this is going to be worth it. Our boss is on the right path. We're all we're all pulling in the, at the same rope, right? Then you go in there with a little bit more effort. It's it's subconscious sometimes. I think the Hawks, when presented with the game plan for last night's game, sat up in their seats, high fived each other, and were ready to f and go. And that's how they looked. And after the game, after that win, you saw Andrew Shaw and Patrick Kane doing a comedy routine in the locker room. There was a totally different feel to last night's game, and it all started when the puck dropped and the Blackhawks' best players were allowed to be their best players, and they were allowed to attack and play their game. See, yeah, I mean, you can't really uh, contest a whole lot of that, obviously. I, I still, to me, like, I still think that there have been enough of those duds this season that it's starting, that you just kind of you do have to start to question like whether or not some of the acquisitions that they made, whether they're going to pan out for the long term. Like, yeah, we saw some good out of Olimata last night. Obviously, Calvin Dehan, I think, has been probably at this point, you probably have to say their second best defenseman just because of what Duncan Keith has been doing recently. Like, I feel like Duncan Keith is really like it seems like he's kind of started to lock in a little bit more than he was early in the season definitely looks better than he did last season too. I just, I still obviously have questions with the way this roster has been constructed and what the long-term prognosis is. If they decide that this isn't the right path forward, I just, I can go with the argument of giving Bowman the opportunity to hire an interim coach. I just think that at the end of the season, if you don't make the playoffs and things are not progressing in the right direction, you can't let him make another long-term hire yes. and try to fix this mess. I totally agree I, with you. And let me clarify that real quick. I if, 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 like you said, they just float around mediocrity and they're not a playoff contender or even close to it, no way does you fire Bowman, you fire Crawford, you fire the entire staff, and you bring in a new GM and a new head coach and start from scratch. Look, if, if they want to fire Cowden and Bowman, I'm cool with that. I just think it's probably a little more realistic. It, it's tough to fire a GM mid midseason. It almost never happens. So I'm just thinking realistically that that would be the most possible conclusion. But look, if they want a clean house on December 1st, if more games look like the Sharks game than the Canucks game, I'm fine with it. I just think the more realistic thing would be Fire Cowton. Let's see what Crawford can get out of the team because a big part of what we thought before. And look, we're all sort of blinded by last night's game. Let's remember how we felt two days ago, right? After that Sharks loss, we felt Cowton lost the team. We had played that Duncan Keith audio where he seemed unhappy and unsatisfied with the system. Brent Seabrook was unsatisfied with him. And it felt like Jeremy Cowton did not have the respect of the locker room. Mark Crawford would come in and have the respect of that locker room. And that was sort of my, my bigger point of that's why he's an interim. You don't let Bowman hire a new coach unless there's a miraculous turnaround and the Hawks become a playoff team and maybe win a round or whatever, then we can talk. But look, to me, everything's on the table. Everything's on the table for me. Yeah, no, I, I 100% agree with that. Do you... uh you want to get off a little bit of the big picture stuff and get on to a uh, couple of noteworthy performances, like something positive and good that we can talk about? Let me tell you about a noteworthy performance from our friend at Rabbit Brewing. 
Zing. <laughs> By the way, um, this came up a little bit last week, and we should mention it, um, that during our Rabbit Brewing read last week, we raised a toast to the performance of Robin Leonard. And in hindsight, that was probably not the wisest thing to say, considering he's recovering. Uh, it was a totally innocent thing. Didn't even really realize or make the connection until someone pointed it out to us. So sorry we did that. It was completely unintentional. And uh, we'll be wiser about those things in the future. But I want to tell you about our friends at Rabbit Brewing in Homewood, Illinois. Their flagship beer is the Dripping Teats IPA. James talked about it last week. That's their uh, Tropical Fruit and Citrus IPA with... The sweetness of the lactose sugars creates a fascinating depth of character and smooth mouth feel and the Dwarves of Doom. I'm going to tell you about a couple of their beers every week. The Hammers Under the Mountain have forged the highest magical armor, a crushingly smooth imperial stout made from the wizardry of local coffee roasters and chocolate makers. This edition features the Gondo Bean from Dagger Mountain. That's the Dwarves of Doom. A couple of the flagship beers at Rabbit Brewing. Everything's there. Everything there is great, so go there, try everything. The time has come for you to drink mythological level craft ales. Visit the Southland Legend, Rabbit Brewing, and Homewood, Illinois. But yes, let's focus on last night's game a little bit, and uh, and let's bask in it because we might be in one of those seasons where there's not going to be a lot of games like last night. <laughs> yeah, that's unfortunately true. You know what? We should start with I normally we have been starting with like forwards that have looked good or whatever, and we've been kind of shortchanging Robin Leonard a little bit. Yeah. We do need to talk about Corey Crawford. Because oh, I thought sure. he, he's looked pretty darn good his last couple of outings. We'll I know see, he yeah. had a little bit of a rough start the other day when he started, but last night I thought he looked really, really strong. Since coming back from the weird, like, mid-first period concussion protocol, he's been really outstanding. And I, I will say, last night his rebound control wasn't great, but that's totally picking nit. I think he's been... His last two games, the L.A. game and the Vancouver game, look, they had no business being in that L.A. game. The mm-hmm. fact that they got to overtime was almost 100% Corey Crawford's doing. And last night he was terrific. He made a lot of big stops, looked calm, looked poised in the net. He looked like the Corey Crawford of old to me. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you didn't uh, steal what I was eventually going to say, which was that he took the kind of demotion, the kind of backseat to Robin Leonard. He absolutely took that in stride. He has not let that impact his game at all when they've let him back onto the ice. And I I know that Robin Leonard is still goaltender number one on this team right now, just based on the way that he's played through the first couple of, you know, months now of the season. And I do have to say though, Corey Crawford probably is earning a little bit more of an even split than what we've seen. Like I just based on what he's done the last couple of games, like you said, there are uh, some questions about his rebound control, which Robin Leonard has actually been really spectacular with this season. But I think that Crawford's lateral movement in the crease and just his ability to cover the posts ever since that first game that he played, I think he's looked really good in those areas. It's something that he's clearly making adjustments in. And I got to give him a lot of credit for having a really positive attitude in the face of basically losing his job like that's ultimately what this had kind of boiled down to because of how well Robin Leonard has played and Corey Crawford has not let that impact him and I have to give him a lot of credit for that no doubt and look one of the things that I've always appreciated about Corey Crawford is when the when things are stacked against him he always responds and now he's responding to where some other goalies and some other athletes would be sort of like I don't know like fragile from what happened with Robin Leonard. He came in, took the job quickly, was great and has been great. Some that would make a lot of, of, of players fold in a lot of sports. Corey Crawford takes it as a challenge and his competitiveness is what makes him such a strong goalie and mm-hmm. such a good player for such a long time. And the fact that he's taken this and said, all right, challenge accepted. I'm going to win my net back. I'm going to come back and win this job. And it's not hostile. He's not mad about it, but he's a competitor, and that competitive nature is what you're seeing it on display. That L.A. game, for sure, he was outstanding. The Hawks had no business being in that game against the Kings. None. And Corey Crawford was fabulous. And that's why I've been such a big fan of his for so long, because that competitive fire in him, it gets him going. There's Not every athlete has that, and Corey Crawford has it 
in barrels. I, I, I've been so impressed with his bounce back. It, it always, to me, I think like the pinnacle of Corey Crawford's time with the Blackhawks and the thing that best illustrates this kind of ability to bounce back in the face of adversity was what he did during the 2015 postseason when he got benched after that horrendous game against the Predators in the first round. And then Joel brought him back in later in the series, and he basically took off from there. He just absolutely went nuts after that, and he reclaimed his net, and he helped to you know, win them that third cup in six years. Like That's the kind of competitor Corey Crawford has always been, and whether or not he's here next season, I think that he has already acquitted himself really well in the face of some tough challenges. And speaking of that, I did also want to – give some plaudits to Jonathan Taves mm-hmm. really the last couple of games. We no had been very critical of his play and then he's bounced back. I believe his last four games, I think he has a goal and three assists and he was held off the score sheet last night, but had six shots on goal and seemed like he was absolutely everywhere. Jay talk about the captain. No, the, the battle level that we see from Taves, like, you know, it's like Taves never, unless he's like, injured injured it's hard to tell when he's hurt right because he plays the same way all the time but you you can sometimes see him like a step slow losing a race the battle level you've seen in Jonathan Taves lately is exactly why he wears the C and why he's one of the most respected guys in league and look I I'm referring to the games in which the Blackhawks played like crap again I'm, I'm not being blinded by last night's game overall I think I think Jonathan Taves over the last handful of games, has been excellent. And you and I were very critical of him last week, and rightfully so. He's bounced back. He has found, you know, sometimes it just takes that one puck going in. People mm-hmm. say that all the time, but guess who says that? Players. Players say that all the time. And sometimes that's what it takes for you to sort of ugh, get the monkey off your back, stop thinking about it, and go out and deliver. And Taves has been really great. I think Eric Gustafson had a really strong game. He was battling his ass off last night. I, I made a note of that, yeah. yeah. Just as a guy that has been very very much on the anti-Eric Gustafson bandwagon, I do have to give him uh, plaudits when they're earned. And he, he battled his butt off last night. He looked really solid. Well, I think one thing that you and I should give ourselves credit for is that we don't dig in our heels on stuff. If a guy's playing like ass, we're going to tell you. But we're not going to turn on the guy completely. We're open-minded, just like I'm being open-minded about the possibility that maybe last night's thing was the start of something good for the Blackhawks, right? Or that Eric Gustafson might not be total trash, or that Jonathan Taze might not be done. We have to react to what we're seeing. And mm-hmm. what we've seen lately from Jonathan Taves and what we saw last night from Eric Gustafson absolutely deserve praise and focus. And at the same time, while we've been singing the praises of Alex Nylander lately, or all season really, his last two games haven't been great. And we're going to tell you, you know, however things are going, that's what we're going to tell you. We're not, I don't think James and I are invested in people's failures or success aside from the team in general, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not going to dig my heels in because I don't like a guy for whatever reason. If someone's playing well, I'm going to tell you so. And you're going to do the I'm same. glad you brought up Nylander because I think it dovetails really nicely into a question that I have about the strategy for last night's game but i think what we should do and correct me if i'm wrong on this jay is i think we should take a break and then get back to this because it's a little bit of a larger strategic decision in terms of scratches and roster construction on a night in night out basis how does that sound that sounds great first I want to tell you about our friends at triple threat sports for our team for all your team outfitting needs call chris 708-478-6090 you need a jersey for your team you need some corporate logo wear for your company Triple Threat Sports will take care of you. They'll also get you an authentic NHL, MLB, and NFL jersey. So triplethreatsports.com or chris at triplethreatsports.com, 708-478-6090. Triple Threat Sports, if you can wear it, they can make it. We'll be right back with more on the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. Welcome back to the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. James Navo with me, Jay Zawoski. Thanks for tuning in. I want to tell you about our friends at Marishka's in Crest Hill, 604 Theodore Street. You heard James wax poetic about everything on their menu last week. The poor boys, the Yodel Burger, the steaks, the seafood, the craft beer menu. It's all great. Go visit them, 604 Theodore Street. They're family owned and operated since 1933. Go see Joe Zdralovich and his family. Marishka's.com or Facebook.com 
slash Mariska's. James, before the break, you tease some Alex Nylander conversation, and I will let you set it all up. Go for it, buddy. <laughs> all right. Well, specifically, what I wanted to talk about is the fact that I'm not like going to be bashing Nylander because I still think there are a lot of uh, times out on the ice, especially on the power play recently, that I've liked what he's been doing. But I also agree with what you said, Jay, which is that it even strengthened the last couple of games. I think we've seen a little bit of a slip in his production level, his noticeability, so to speak. Like, right. I just I don't I'm not quite seeing it at the level where it was. And when you have a group of forwards that you can make these kind of decisions on a night in night out basis on who plays and who sits, I think that he's probably in that conversation to come out of the lineup. And it's definitely important to bring it up now because Dominic Kubelik got healthy scratched for last night's game was not in the lineup. And I'd be curious from your perspective, a what you thought of the decision by Jeremy Colleton to sit Kubelik for a game. And then the second thing is, would you swap out Kubelik and Nylander moving forward? Or would you take a guy like Zach Smith back out of the mix? Um, my initial thought was, and of course, remember, we didn't know how last night was going to go, and I think we were all feeling kind of crappy about the way the Blackhawks were playing. It was kind of like, oh, great, Zach Smith, that's going to fix it all. But truthfully, and even before the game started, I don't have a problem with kind of like resetting a young player, an inexperienced player. And I think Dominic Kubelik was a guy who you could definitely argue was ready for that. Um, mm-hmm. There have been some games where he's been really, really good. There have been some games where you don't even really notice he's on the team, and you want to get him to at least be a factor in every game. And I, and I do think sometimes a night off and and watching from the press box can be beneficial for a young player. So I didn't really have a huge like philosophical issue with it. Do I want Alex Nylander to sit? Not necessarily, but I also wouldn't be outraged if it happened. You know, it would be right. kind of justified um, because he hasn't been playing very well. And, uh, you know, sometimes that can be a good thing for a young player. Now, I don't know if it should be used as a punishment tool, like with a young player anyway. Like, you've been playing like crap. You're going to sit. I don't know how effective that is, right? Mm. Maybe it is. Maybe it's not. I don't. I truly don't know. When I say I don't know, I, I don't know. Um, but I'd rather see it. That what they thought from Kubelik was, and Cowton said this before the game, you know, we just want to give him a night to sort of sit back and – relax, take a deep breath, and he'll be back in. There was no indication that it was going to be anything long-term. Moving forward, the three names you presented, Nylander, Kubelik, and Smith, I think the answer is obvious. I think Smith plays the fewest games of those three. And if you feel like you've got a big or physical opponent coming in, then I I think Zach Smith has value. I think he played pretty well last night, actually. But um, of those three, he is the least important to their future. And the way this season's going, the future is what matters. That's Mm -hmm. why Doc is here. That's why Boquist is here. That's why Kubelik should be playing more often than not, and that's why Nylander's been put in top-line roles and power play opportunities. They're trying to see what they have in these young players, and that kind of should be the goal at this point, don't you think? I mean, Zach Smith, we know what Zach Smith is. He's a guy that plays straight ahead, north and south, finishes his checks, and has a little bit of offensive upside. I don't need to see a whole lot of him. To me, he's in a really nice 13th forward. Yeah, I can definitely agree with that. And I think the Blackhawks clearly have an eye on development based on the way that Jeremy Colleton framed the decision to bench Kubelik for a game. It didn't sound like it was an effort or a performance-based thing. It sounded like it was more of a, like you said, a gentle reset and a a chance to watch the game from up overhead where you kind of see things a little bit differently than you do when you're actually in the moment and on the ice. And I thought that the way that he framed it was that was good. I thought that that was the way it needed to be kind of uh, handled. And I can go with that. I also would have him back in the lineup on Thursday, like yes. or not on Thursday, but in their Saturday. next game against yep. the, yeah, I keep forgetting what day of the week it is. You know, <laughs> this is why, this is why you don't randomly take two days off of work. It completely screws up your calendar like that. I, I no longer know. I know nothing is basically where I'm at. But uh dude, I have so many days. I have n- I have 19 days off I haven't used this year. Jeez, dude, <laughs> that must be nice. We only get 2 weeks at NBC. Well, now I need to finish my book. By the way, here's the quote uh from Jeremy <laughs> Cowan on Kubelik. He said we think his play dropped off a little bit. We want to get him back to where he was playing earlier. Sometimes rest and some feedback can do that. 
So there you go. And yeah. after the game, actually, this was today. This is from Ben Pope's Twitter. Uh, Cowden said Kubelik handled the scratch well. Quote, if we were playing a playoff game yesterday, he probably wouldn't have come out, but we're trying to get him back. <laughs> but we're trying to get him back to playing at his highest level, and sometimes you have to come out of a game and take a breather and get some feedback. So there you go. You know, sometimes we struggle with English, man. English are hard. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that I, I like the way they handled that. I thought that was a good job by uh, Jeremy Colleton and a good job by Dominic Kubli to kind of uh, understand what was going on with that. The other thing I did want to mention uh, in the development realm was – a little bit of the sheen has kind of uh, come off a little bit on Kirby Doc the last couple of games. I feel like we haven't been ISOing on him quite as hard as we were before. And last night he played a grand whopping total of nine minutes and two seconds, which was the lowest time on ice of any Blackhawk. Yeah, and that's kind of been a trend lately, too. He's not getting as much even strength time. And here's the thing about it. Uh, and this is kind of another criticism Cowan for me is when he's out there, it's not like he's struggling. He's got the puck. He's creating offense. I think he needs to sort of one thing I will be critical of him on is that he's trying to do that like stick handle through traffic thing a little too much. Mm-hmm. It's the NHL. And I think the more he does that and fails, the more he'll learn that that's probably not a realistic move to make all the time. There's going to be opportunities for it, but to skate through the slot and think you're going to, you know, stick handle around Drew Doughty is probably unlikely, you know? <laughs> yeah, but, you're not going to get through there undisturbed, basically. You're going to he, he have guys that are going to be able to push you off the puck. This isn't uh, junior level hockey. And I and I do think that's part of the learning process, too. You'd rather him be that aggressive rather than being tentative and continuing to kind of chip the puck around guys and trying to fight through them. Like, I know there's more than one way to skin a cat so to speak with that kind of entry stuff but I also like the fact that he's still being aggressive and he's not just resorting to the little chips and the little like deke moves and he's not really trying to like kind of scoot through he's just barreling ahead and I think some of that aggressiveness is good but you got to add some nuance and some variety to that game and I definitely think that Kirby Dot can do that I also wanted to ask you about Adam Boquist. Well, hey, one more played. thing on Doc that I want to mention. Oh, sorry. But before we move on, he his willingness to go in front of the net and his willingness to play physical is something you don't see a lot from young players. So that, to me, has been the most encouraging thing. Oh, is, yeah. Hey, look, I'm big. <laughs> you know, I'm going to go play big and be a big player and, and make my presence known. And he's done that and he's been willing. I want to see him get more ice time. I think part of the reason we're not noticing him in, as much is because he's never on the ice, yeah. right? And on the power play, his job is basically go stand in front, and if a rebound comes, you score. But the power play hasn't been really effective lately, aside from last night. So I, st- I still like that power play unit that he's on, though. Yeah. The, the unit with Taves and Nylander, uh, it's really, I think, a good combination to have those guys together out on the ice and then obviously adding Boquist to that mix too. Like it's, that's fascinating to me. Like I really have liked that combination of forwards and defensemen that Colleton has been using and they've been generating a good number of chances as, as a group. And I'd argue they probably have been the Blackhawks top power play unit the last couple of games. No doubt. And by the way, uh, the power play setup they used last night with, this is the the other unit, but uh, Kane around the right wing boards, then Strom on the goal line, and then Shaw out in front. That tic tac toe passing play, mm-hmm. Shaw scored on it and it worked. But they tried that a bunch of times. I like that. I like that look. And you've got two guys that can move the puck very well, in uh, Strom and Kane, and then you've got Andrew Shaw with that abil- uh, that willingness to go get in front. And make things happen. Uh, I really like the look of that power play. Anyway, you and, you want to? Sorry, I did want to mention one other thing. Since since we got off on the power play tangent, we might as well address this. Boquist and Gustafson on the ice together on the power play. What'd you think of that? Um, I guess why not? Right? I don't know. I, I it I'm was interesting. To try anything like at this having point. like two. We're not a. We're not used to seeing two defensemen on the point on the power play with the Blackhawks. They've been almost exclusively using four forwards and one defenseman lately. But I, I personally thought that was a really intriguing 
idea by Colleton to have two guys up at the point who are really good at quickly cycling the puck and finding open guys on the wings. Like I thought that was really, it was interesting has the potential for disaster, obviously with the uh, defensive questions, but also has the potential for some really lightning quick developing plays. Yeah, I agree. I'm, I'm look, I want to see uh, that. That's why you have Gustafson on this team, right? That that's the point. You want this guy to be a offensive juggernaut on the power play, and Boquist has shown early on, even though his five on five numbers were horrible last night uh, <laughs> on the power play, he is he's already a factor, and he's already someone the opponents have to worry about. Jay, I don't know what you mean. You're you're telling me the thirty five percent Corsi is bad? Yes, that's not good. In case you, by were... the way, matched uh, Kirby Doc for worst on the team last night. They were identical, which I thought was adorable. It is. They oh, they're both first round picks. Aww, it's so cute. Oh so All right, cute. So let's talk about Boquist. Let's let's get into the nitty gritty here. What have you thought of him the last couple of games? It's you know, the aggressiveness is what I really like from him. The fact that he is not scared with the puck. And maybe there's a few times where he should be a little more scared, and I think we expected that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> coming into this year. And he'll learn, just like Doc will learn not to stick handle through two Norris Trophy defensemen, Adam Bogus will learn to not blindly throw a puck into the neutral zone, right? Mm. The, these things are are going to happen in the young player's development. The San Jose game, was that the one where he was on the power play and the puck jumped over his stick and then he didn't initially react? Oh, oh my God, yes. I Thank you for bringing that up. Like that... That to me is not a development thing. That's a get on your horse and bust your ass and get down the ice thing. Like that's a that's a thing where if I'm Jeremy Colladin, I'm putting my hand on his shoulder and I'm going, don't do that again, or else you're where you're sitting right now is where you're going to stay for the rest of the period. Like that's a that's a moment you do need to send at least a little bit of a message. I think that that was a completely effort level thing and a dough I screwed up thing, and you have to bust and get back on defense. Like that to me. Can't be doing that, man. No, that, definitely a learning experience, though, and also a one-time thing. I haven't seen him do it any other time, but still, that's a moment where you kind of pull him aside and go, hey, not cool, bro. Yeah, don't do that. Uh, see that? Yeah, that's bad. Don't do that. I, but I think what that was was a true um, – it looked like he was expecting help to be there that wasn't because he turned around and looked, and he was like, oh, God. Like, he, <laughs> But you're at the point on the power play. Like, I know. Odds are you're not going to have help. I don't know what he was seeing, but – Clearly, it wasn't like a, I'm not going to try. It was a I don't need to. Oh God, I need to, and that <laughs> you know that's put second. Uh, oh, by the way, we bagged on Nylander. We're all over the place right now, but bear with us. Uh, the Nylander last night did make a really nice back check on a near uh, odd man rush for Vancouver, and he broke up a play. So I want to give him credit for that. So mm. he's still out there the, busting I've his ass. I've seen a few trying. forwards doing that, like uh, the especially the younger ones. It it warms my heart to see it. There's a lot of heartwarming stuff going on, isn't there? Yeah, we're talking about Kirby Doc and Adam Boquist and how identical they are and how wonderful it is. But you know what? <laughs> Give some credit to the other youngsters too. We need to have like a like a beautiful like flute music playing under this right now. It's happy time. It is happy time. We need some happy time in our lives. That's for <laughs> sure. Um, anyway, want to tell you guys about our newest sponsor, the Barrel Club in Oak Lawn, forty nine ten West one hundred eleventh Street. Uh, they are having a raffle uh, for Wish Forever. Uh, those on the south side are familiar with the charity, the Andrew Weishar Foundation. Um, the winner will be drawn by US 99's Drew Walker. First prize is a barrel liquor cabinet that's on display at the restaurant. That will be huge. Second prize is a three-month membership to their Spirit of the Month Club. Third prize is a $100 gift card to the Barrel Club. So you donate $20 for a raffle ticket, and you're entered to win those prizes. And guess what? You're at the Barrel Club, where you can try their awesome drinks. There are even better food. Everything there is fantastic. A nice place. Go there for a date night with your wife or your husband or your partner or whatever. You'll love it. You'll have a great time. BarrelClubIllinois.com. And, of course, when you're there, you can check out their Spirit of the Month Club. You know that thing that you do with names, Jay, where, like, you say, like, somebody's name and you, like, reverse, like, their initials or something? Like Jabe Omeister? I just thought of when you said Drew Walker, I immediately was like painted sitter. Oh, that that's that's Herb. Oh, I thought that was you. No, well, I I always share them with Herb Lawrence because that's his invention. 
Oh, okay. Yeah, My so mistake, Herb. Sorry. There was one we did. Oh, it was Dave Jude. You know Dave Jude? That is exactly the one I was thinking <laughs> And of. I did Dave Gentile Month. <laughs> and uh, that one stumped Herb. So that's that's the whole idea. Is if you can stump Herb with one of those, <laughs> then then it's all good. That's the whole point. That That's the idea, is to, is to make Herb feel confused by his own game. Sorry, sorry, Drew Walker, but you uh, you just got roped into that conversation you probably wanted no part of. Well, my other ones, like my game, like Jabe O'Meester, is every time I watch the Bulls, Andrew Afoul is out there. Neil Funk <laughs> loves Andrew Afoul. It's one of his favorite players. Oh. So that one comes up all the time. It's one of my favorites. <laughs> I don't even know where we're at anymore, man. You know, what, we're ready do we for? have anything else that we wanted to talk about? Today? Yes, we're ready for the email of the show, aren't you? Oh, well, absolutely now, yeah. Email the guys at madhousepod at gmail.com or follow them on Twitter at madhousepod. The email of the show, as always, is brought to you by our friends at Chuck's Southern Coverage Cafe with locations in Burbank and Darien. Visit chuckscafe.com. The Mexican, the Cajun, the barbecue, it's all amazing. The 190 billion craft beers they have on tap and in bottles at Chuck's. Whatever you like, you'll find something there that you love. So go to Chuck's, check them out, Burbank Darien, Chuck'sCafe.com, and try the cobbler. It's amazing. And if you're listening to this on Saturday, go there and get the coach you need up a bill. And Do thank, it. Thank me later. All right. Email of the show comes from Travis in Denver. His real name's Travis Barker, and I just think that's delightful. Travis says, hey, guys, just finished the Vancouver game. If they can play like this, but mostly don't, they have a motivational issue and not a system issue. Un- mm. Unless teams like the Canucks are easier to play against in this system, firing the coach and promoting from within won't work, or they would have motivated them already. I hated that they fired Q, but unless there's a coach for hire that's a definite upgrade, I don't see how cutting JC short helps the team rebuild or reload. We will need to say the same thing about the new guy needing a full season to get a system, blah, blah, blah. By the way, Crawford looked good, Travis. So he's he's not with me on the uh, shit can tr- uh, Jeremy Calton thing. The reason I feel that way too is like, do we really feel like he's gonna turn things around? Like, wouldn't we know that by now? Like, if he was some new like inventive hockey mind, wouldn't that have manifested already? And I just don't see it all of a sudden happening. That's just. Mm. Me. Yeah, um, I I obviously I do. I can see where Travis is coming from with like kind of like advocating a little bit more patience, kind of a be careful what you wish for kind of uh, mentality. I mean, based on what happened when they fired Joel and brought Jeremy in in the first place, it took a while for that to get going. It sure looked like a oh, look what you wish for, morons. Look what's happening. Um, So I can see like that being a potential motivator. But I also think that this notion that it would be difficult to step up from where Jeremy Colleton is as a coach and as a tactician. Nah, not seeing that as much. Pretty sure they can find somebody that would be able to do that. So I can appreciate the argument for patience, but I also think that the Blackhawks, if they really are out there looking for a more innovative mind, I'm fair to Midland sure they'll be able to do it. Well, And here's the thing. As bad as they looked in that transition period between Quenville and Colleton, they never had points where they looked as bad as they looked against the Sharks in L.A. and Nashville over the last handful of games. There were games where they lost. There were some games they lost by a lot. But mm-hmm. there were not games where they looked like, you know, the St. Jude Knights peewee team up against the Russian Red Army. And, then, and that's how they looked. The Hawks never looked that bad, even in a transition period with Cowton. That's, to me, why it was so concerning. They look worse this weekend and Tuesday than they've looked in a year. And lo and behold, it's the one-year anniversary, Wednesday was, of the Jeremy Cowan hire. And and up until that date, no, November 6th, they had been playing their worst hockey under Jeremy Cowan. That, to me, was noteworthy. So, look, if they come out and play great games against Pittsburgh and, and Toronto and then put up a nice effort against Vegas on Wednesday, fine, great. Maybe I was wrong. But I'm not ready to say, you know what, Jeremy Collins great because they beat the Canucks one night. I'm not ready to go there yet. I do want to once again point out the fact that our emailer of the show, we've now had Adam Sandler and the drummer of Blink-182 
email us. Yeah, Travis Barker and Adam Sandler. Yeah. We got to get some, like, Jessica Elba's and, you know, people like that. That would be Yeah, good. well, who who the heck among those folks is listening to a hockey podcast? That is very sexist and presumptuous of you, and I, I will not stand for it. <laughs> okay, wait a minute. You really think that it's sexist to say Jessica Alba wouldn't be listening to a hockey podcast? I do. Mm. Isn't she Canadian? Is she? I don't know. I'm just nah, well, it would have been news to me. I'm just trying to strengthen my argument. <laughs> She's from Pomona, I'm California. Out that it's nerdy. I'm not pointing out that it's guy centric. I'm just saying Jessica Alba is not a nerd. She's from Pomona, California. That's which... not that's not Canada. The last time I checked, <laughs> I'm gonna Google distance. I'll say I guess Vancouver would be the closest place, right? <laughs> this is the most compelling thing I've ever well, now heard I on know. this podcast. It's only a 20 she... hour drive. From... Only <laughs> from from where Jessica Alba lives to Vancouver, so she's basically Canadian. I could almost, if I drove 20 hours from here, I could almost get to what? It'd probably be like Albuquerque, New Mexico, I think. Yeah. It's right That's over there. a long way. It's a couple states away. You're fine. It's only two states from California to Canada. See? Fun fact. That's like, it's basically like Colorado to us. I still stand by what I said. Jessica Alba would not listen to this show. All right. Well, we'll tweet at her and see what she thinks. All right. Thanks for listening to the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. I really appreciate it. James, thanks for joining me here on your Friday afternoon. Hopefully everybody has a nice weekend, and hopefully we're talking about four points that the Blackhawks picked up over the weekend. I would love to see it. I'd love to be wrong. I hope I am. I want to thank our sponsors, Triple Threat Sports. For all your team outfitting needs, call Chris, 708-478-6090. Rabbit Brewing in Homewood, Illinois. The time has come for you to drink mythological-level craft ales. Visit the Southland legend, Rabbit Brewing. Mariska's in Crest Hill, family-owned and operated since 1933. Chuck's Southern Coverts Cafe with locations in Burbank and Darien. Visit chuckscafe.com and Barrel Club in Oakland, 4910 West 111th Street. Go to barrelclubillinois.com for information on their Spirit of the Month Club. James, have a great weekend. I will talk to you early next week. We have a lot to talk about. We should probably plan on a Monday or Tuesday podcast, don't you think? I we, We've been running on Mondays and Fridays. I think we probably can keep that going. I like that. All right, buddy. Have a great weekend. And everybody listening, we appreciate you. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you early next week. Hot flashes, irritability, intimate dryness, even unsatisfying sex. Hi, I'm Dr. Alyssa Dweck, a board-certified OBGYN who has spent over 20 years helping women just like you safely find relief from these very natural symptoms without having to resort to hormones. To help my patients feel their best, I recommend products from Bonafide Health. Bonafide is a women's health company dedicated to providing women with non-hormonal and clinically validated products that work. Bonafide provides safe and effective solutions to manage a range of menopausal, sexual health, and PMS-related symptoms. That's why I recommend Bonafide products to my patients every day. In fact, I am also a Bonafide medical advisor. What I like most is that Bonafide products provide women real relief without compromise. Ladies, don't waste another minute feeling less than your best. Go to HelloBonafide.com and use code RADIO39 to save 20%. That's HelloBonafide.com and code RADIO39. These statements have not been evaluated by the FDA. These products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Offer valid on subscription only.